Price Talk Wacky Wednesday. <laughs> and it's well, also Cinco de Mayo. Uh, Cinco de Hocho. I hope you got I hope you got something cold in your hand. With a little <laughs> with a little froth running around the rim. <laughs> well, <laughs> don't go getting people excited now, Donald Wayne. <laughs> My goodness. Hey, welcome to the Trice Talk Story Hour. <laughs> Jeez. I mean, really. It makes you kind of want to get up and shake your congas, doesn't it? That's what I was doing. Uh, I'm I bet to you put were. It back in place. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, yeah. well, that's a that's a story for another uh, episode. Well, that's uh, you know who that is, don't you? That's uh, Gloria Estefan. Um, yeah, Miami, Miami Sound, Sound Machine. Machine. Oh, that, that first Jinx. one was what? Jinx. Oh, I thought you said something else. Uh, that was the first one was Danza Kudro. I uh, bless you. I don't, I have no idea what they were singing that song either. So I probably shouldn't have played it, but yeah. it was, it, it was on the uh list for the Cinco de Mayo songs for the day. So I just thought yeah, it might, yeah. might fit in there. Something but, about tickling. I don't know. Tickling? Why would you think it would be tickling? Oop. Whoa, whoa. Oh, what in the world? And now it's time. 
Make sure to touch the person beside you. Well, you better Can you hear ask the them humming first. in my voice. Hear closer and closer. It's for you too close. It's That's COVID. A meditation <laughs> moment for Christ talk. <laughs> yeah, isn't that different? Uh, what is that, Wang Chung? No, that's the uh, sitar meditation. It's by the color of a dream. I'm not sure what they're dreaming about, but. Well, so you're getting back into the Buddha again, are you? Well, you know, you burn the incense. You got the black light going. You got a few black light art pieces on the wall. And the next thing you need is a little sitar music in the background. My goodness. And I'm, I'm you know, I'm back in the 60s, man. <laughs> Peace. Look love. Them, look at them damn hippies. <laughs> yeah they cut their hair <laughs> what are you wearing Jeez. what is that a thong <laughs> well no, I, I don't I, I don't think the thong was around in the 60s uh, i could be wrong but i certainly yeah, probably wasn't called it something else <laughs> is bell bottoms and uh and tie-dye t-shirts yes sir yeah, I, I, sh I should have made a business out of tie-dye while it was in. Although it's it's it kind of comes back and forth a little bit every once in a while. Tie-dye. Yes, it does. In fact, now, you know, uh, those Hollywood types, they'll wear tie-dye stuff, you know, that they pay, you know, eight $900 for, for a $15 T-shirt. Indeed. That's not cheap. Pick up and move to Beverly Hills. Well, oh, I guess we still got the color of a dream going back there. All right. Dream by yourself. <laughs> well, it, does it feel like Cinco de Mayo? I mean, it's different. I don't know. Reason. I had tacos today, I guess. Uh -huh. um, that's something. I, did, I, didn't, I didn't have any Mexican food, nor did I have a margarita, although I had a thought about bringing a bottle of tequila up here to the studio with me tonight i, I didn't oh do goodness. that Jeez. well you know i'm not not sure if i want to go in that direction or not but <laughs> i don't know what direction is that hey welcome belly i get a margarita machine up here one of these days there you go one yeah, of the best parties i ever went to was somebody rented a margarita machine i mean it was that was pretty awesome. Have you ever ever had one of those at a party? Yeah. Have you ever put your face under one and let it just pour all over your face? Uh, now that's when it really gets going right there. Okay. Well, I, I was I've never been in <laughs> been in that that condition where I would let somebody nor you know I don't know that they would want you putting your lips on that on that dispenser, but um i think it's more like a tongue i don't remember or, or they put it on a chute and just kind of funnel it into your mouth uh, i think it kind of drizzled over me like a strudel <laughs> that may not have been a margarita machine <laughs> somebody may have drug you outside in the rain no, or my, something no my goodness <laughs> well, i have to go to talk to the therapist about that uh, indeed oh boy well, um, 
I guess it's that. <laughs> I, guess I, we'll, guess. I guess, you know, how much can you beat to death about a margarita machine? Yeah, only so much. All right. Uh, well, I, let's see. I've got one more little ditty to lead me into the first little banter here. No. Let's see if I can find my ditty. <laughs> well, um, we can get too broken up about it. <laughs> no. I think it's, I think it's right here. Let's see. That's that a Yankee. <laughs> that's that's Louise Fonzie and Daddy Yankee and uh, Louise Fonzie. Did he play on Happy Days? Uh, well, I, I think it's spelled differently than that, Fonzie. If I'm not mistaken. Um, since it is Cinco de Mayo, um, got a little quickie article here about uh, even though Cinco de Mayo is a Mexican holiday, why does the United States celebrate it more? And this is from an article in USA Today by Jordan Mendoza and Gabriela Miranda. Oh, very good. Yeah. How about that? I'm just, I practice. Um, contrary to popular belief, Cinco de Mayo doesn't commemorate Mexico's independence day. Did you, did you think it was independence day in Mexico, Dennis Lee? No, I thought it was just a, you know, a day to no. drink. Yeah. Pretty much. Okay. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> that's at least you're honest. May, <laughs> May 5th marks the Mexican army's victory over France at the Battle of Puebla during the she's <laughs> these typos. Uh during the Franco Mexican War in 1862. Oh, is that James? So, uh no, I don't I don't think oh, okay. so. I don't think James is is uh French. Could be wrong, but uh, I didn't realize they were actually fighting that war with the, uh, I started to say the Italians, the, the French at the same time we were doing the, the Civil War. But uh, Mexico's Independence Day is actually celebrated on September the 16th. So Cinco de Mayo has nothing to do with their Independence Day. Huh. Um, actually, a survey by the national uh, today.com in 2018 showed that only 10% of Americans actually knew the true reason behind Cinco de Mayo. Yet we have turned it into a day where people can get cheap margaritas and wear sombreros. Now I don't, I've never worn a sombrero on Cinco de Mayo. Have you? Of course you probably have since you had your mouth stuck up under a margarita machine, but I, I think it was a cheap sombrero. You yeah. probably put, put it in the sombrero and then drank it out of that. But No, I had salsa in the sombrero. <laughs> salsa and chips. All right. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> but most people drinking in the bars have no idea that it's celebrating the strength and the power and the power of the resilience of the Mexican people to overcome invaders who were oh. who were trying to take their land, said Alejandro Guadilla, associate professor of Chicana and Chicano studies at California State University. Uh, actually, French Emperor Napoleon III wanted to claim Mexican territory for himself, and he sent his troops to force Mexico's president, Benito Juarez, you've heard that name before, and the government out of Veracruz. But in May 5th of 1862, um, in Puebla de Los Angeles, a small town in east central Mexico, 6,000 French troops faced 2,000 Mexican soldiers at daybreak. By the evening, Mexico had claimed victory. Now, that's that's a heck of a difference. In, in, I thought, uh, we, yeah, I feel like we learned this in, uh, in school back when they were teaching Texas history and all that stuff. Did we? Yeah. Well, you may have. Did you remember it? No. <laughs> uh, anyway, days later, Juarez declared May 5th a national holiday because they defeated the French that day. Uh, celebrating Cinco de Mayo was not always like this. And in fact, it was something Mexican-Americans celebrated in the 1800s as an act of resistance. Uh, they began to celebrate that holiday because they also wanted to commemorate their acts of resistance during the U.S.-Mexico War, but also holding their own after incorporation. After Mexican-Americans who decided to stay in the U.S. after 1848 became citizens, they realized that all the promises the U.S. had made to them were not going to come true. Uh, well, you know, at least the, our government is consistent on promises. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, they don't waver, but um, there's a, a lady named Raquel Soto, 30, who was born in Veracruz, but she immigrated to the United States when she was 15 and became a citizen. Uh, she's still confused about Cinco de Mayo and, and how we've Americanized that holiday here or that that day. It's not a holiday. Um, she says, I was born near the town where this historic battle took place. My ancestors died there, and I came to the U.S. to find all these white Americans drinking margaritas and hitting pinatas, Soto said. The celebration of a holiday most Americans don't understand is what Soto said she finds offensive. Advertising and decorations about the holiday focus on the party aspect rather than the cultural and historical significance. I guess she didn't realize that Americans find a way to party on any issue. Um, just ask people in New Orleans. Soto said her biggest pet peeve was when this holiday comes up, when people call it Cinco de Drinco. <laughs> I've never heard that name before. I never have either. Cinco de Drinco, but that pisses her off. Growing up in Mexico, Soto said her family celebrated the holiday by cooking with family, dancing the national derabe tapito, or Mexican hat dance, and praying over their ancestors. When she can, Soto said she educates her American friends about the Mexican battle and the victory on May the 5th. So, you know, we kind of Americanize everything. I mean, 
it's, it's just a fact. In no, St. Patrick's Day. Oh yeah, uh, we had had nothing to do with with wearing green drunk and wearing yeah. beans. Yeah. <laughs> well, the Irish do drink a lot, but um, and I can say that because I'm part Irish. But uh, yeah, it's not <laughs> it's not it's not what we celebrate. Uh, it's just that's what we do. We 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 Americanize everything, and everything is a reason to drink. Uh, yeah. probably the only yeah. holiday that really isn't, a, that we at least claim that it's a day to drink is Christmas, but I people, would know plenty of people drink on Christmas. Well, oh, that's yeah. I was going to say eggnog and bourbon and yeah, you know, with your Yule log, you, you, you drink your Yule log, you drink out of the Yule log. Yeah. traditional. I bet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a story that I don't want to hear. <laughs> Well, you know, next time we're around the campfire. <laughs> um, well, um, Newsweek has an article by Saren Morris that a woman was asked what she would do with an elephant in a bizarre job application. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I don't even know what to make of that. <laughs> it said, you've been given an elephant. You can't give it away or sell it. What would you do with the elephant? This was a strange question a woman was asked as part of a job application as Bita Dolshani shared in a tweet that has now been liked more than 100,000 times. Did you say Peta or Fita? Uh, no, Bita actually. B-E-T-A. Oh, Bita. Yeah, Bita. Like, beat it, Bita. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, Bita shared the photo of the riddle and said, this is definitely the most bizarre question I have ever seen on a job application. While job seekers may be prepared to answer questions about their experience and skills, a, a question about they, what, what they would do with an elephant is a bit of a curveball. However, it may not be as random as it would initially seem. <clears throat> job search site Indeed includes the elephant question on its list of 30 funny interview questions and explains interviewers may ask funny interview questions to see if you fit in with the rest of the team. Um, potential employers ask these questions to get an understanding of your true personality, to gauge your ability to think quickly, and to get the conversation flowing. Your answers demonstrate your critical thinking process, like, what the hell would I do with an elephant? Um, creative thinking abilities, problem-solving skills, and ability to work under stress. Other questions on Indeed's list include, would you rather fight 100 duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? And how would you sell hot chocolate in Florida in the summer? Um, on Twitter, Beta suggested that elephant... Uh, the question was probably just something to weed out possible bots applying to the job, adding, but it was way too funny not to tweet about. <laughs> Whatever the reason behind asking the question, Twitter users were quick to come up with their own ingenious answers. Uh, one Twitter user said, it's a trick question. The answer is neither give it away nor sell it. The answer is you go to war with Rome. <laughs> <laughs> another, another said the answer is to raise it like your child and start a wildly successful Instagram account documenting your life with an elephant son. Huh. Oh, ben Osik that... said 
<laughs> I took a class on how to respond to job interview questions once, and they use this exact same one as an example. The answer they're looking for is open a business where you hire the elephant out for events like birthday parties. Well, that's just great, but that wouldn't be very creative, would it be? Caitlin Monkman suggested forgetting about the job and riding off into the sunset with their new elephant friend answering, unfortunately, I can no longer work here. Raising this elephant is my full-time job. We're going to travel from town to town solving mysteries. Um, yeah. Well, if you see that question, you know, you might just want to giggle or maybe break down in tears because, you know, when you watch Dumbo that uh, shook you to your core. So, well, it makes uh, me think of, I don't know, you've, you've been on your particular job for quite a number of years now, but did you, you didn't have to take a psychological uh, test, did you? No, they missed out on that opportunity. Have you ever taken <laughs> one of those things for a job interview? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, have actually. I took one one time and I'd have been in the industry for a long time. Um, boy, that flashes quickly. BP, were you trying to call in? I think he might have hit the butt. Oh, um, what was I talking about? I was, I, uh, I took one one time, uh, and it was kind of scary actually, you know, because you find yourself, or at least I did, I found myself trying to think, okay, now this is a trick question. How do they want me to answer it instead of just coming up with the first thing that pops out of my head? So I overanalyzed it, and uh, I never did get a call back from those people. Oh, that's a trap. And, and I was I was actually referred to the job, so <laughs> I, I was a little disappointed. But you know, howdy, slightly, hey, hey slightly. So yeah, those things are those things are tricky. Uh, I mean, what what? you know, what, uh, person comes up with those kind of tests, you know, they got to have a, and, and it's supposed to tell them about what kind of person <clears throat> you are, you know, whether you'll, right. you'll run in and harm the other employees or if, you know, if you'll embezzle money or uh, actually steal merchandise. Cut, the, cut the elephant up and use it to feed <laughs> all the hungry around the world. There um, you go. That, that might scare <laughs> a few people though. <laughs> he's, he's kind of violent, but I like him. Uh, well, anyway, those things aren't fun. I, I, I figured that you, you hadn't taken one and it was, I only did it one time. I actually, the company I work for, we started developing one to give to people that applied for jobs with our company. And, uh, and I was, I voted against it, but I got voted down. They said, Oh, everybody's doing them now. We need to do it just to kind of find out what kind of people were, you know, are applying for the job. Who showed up at Slightly Show tonight? Now everyone wants to know. Who was it? Pertwee! Oh, Pertwee! Yay! So they're doing good, or are they both out of the hospital now? Eric's calling in. Yeah, um, I think um, me me and Slightly are pleased to report that um, they they both, both look like they're they're definitely on the mend. Um, so Pert, we was well enough to, to join, join us, um, in, in just in the chat tonight. But so I wanted to share the good news and, and, and honeybee awesome. looks like she's on the mend too, but I know y'all will definitely be thrilled to have her back. 
along with yeah. Berkeley. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. That's really good news. And and I, and I know y'all both would definitely like for Pertwee and Honeybee to definitely come see y'all. Oh, yeah. of course. He I I did email him last week, Eric, and he said mm-hmm. that that Honeybee was still in the hospital but she was doing better. I think uh, she's finally beat the COVID, but she's having to go through like physical therapy and they're trying to make mm-hmm. sure her oxygen levels are like saturated, but they, they don't want to be giving her too much <coughs> oxygen. Yeah. yeah. Jeez. But she's still in the hospital. Uh, I, I would think so at last check, but I know Sl- slightly's definitely been keeping in touch with yeah. him. Right. Uh, that's, but, that's good news. Oh Yeah. But of course, happy Cinco de Mayo, happy hump day, everybody, on this wacky Wednesday edition of Trice Talk. Well, thanks, Derek. Yes. Happy margarita to you. Yeah, <laughs> Even though I don't consume alcohol, um, <laughs> slightly closed up his show tonight playing um, Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville and oh, Billy Joel's A Piano Man. Well, I think you can oh, yeah. have a non alcoholic margarita. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, the I, I point, imagine they but... make those. It would probably be considered like a smoothie of some kind yeah. or daiquiri that is yeah. non alcoholic. There you go. Uh, you, we, did you hear Dennis Lee talking about having his uh, mouth up under a margarita machine somewhere at some party he went to? Allegedly. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I wasn't aware of that. Uh, yeah. He's, <laughs> well, I wasn't either, and I'm fairly close to him. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, things yeah. happen, Donald Wayne. He, he thinks he can tell me these things now because I'll forget them, you know, yeah. because he thinks I'm at that age where I won't remember what he told me, but I will. <laughs> I have well, it on record- tape now. It's so. recorded now, so you can play it whenever you want. <laughs> yeah, these uh, are, yeah. are going to be in the archives, Dennis Lee. Oh, um, if Laura was hearing on the line, uh, we know what she'd be asking. What kind oh, of show yeah. is this? Exactly. Exactly. Oh, well, that, that's good news. Good, good to hear that they're doing much better. The per we felt like yeah. uh, being on the show tonight. Yeah. Um, but but we definitely hope to have them back in full capacity again very soon and and uh, and I think you know a lot of our Podbean friends are really pleased with that good news. Yeah, well, that's great. No, I, <laughs> and I know Lady about. Me is do, doing a show opposite y'all right now. It's her Cinco de Drinko show, and I imagine she's probably hanging out at the bar. Uh oh, we just talked uh, about that Cinco de Drinko, didn't we? Didn't we yeah, say that? Yeah. yeah. See, there's uh, there in the story that I just uh, read, Eric. Uh, there's a lady named um, what are her name? Raquel Soto. Soto. Yeah, she lives in California, and she's upset. She she gets mad when uh, people call it Cinco de Drinco. She thinks it's <laughs> disrespectful. Uh, she said, "Of course, she's upset that Americans celebrate Cinco de Mayo the way they do anyway." Well, well, there's also a big misconception about Cinco de Mayo. That is not celebrating Mexicans independence, Mexico's independence, just, just so people know. Like, right. the, well, it, Mexico's actual independence day is on September 6th. Right. Was Is that what I, did yeah, I say? I mean, that's what you said. Uh, was it September? Yeah. September 6th. And it was, okay. But yeah, but she just thinks that we, you know, and, and we were talking about it. We, we Americanize everything that we True. celebrate here. So we put our spin on it and it usually has something to do with alcohol. So that's the way it goes. Well, yeah. And sorry, sorry, uh, Miss Soto. <laughs> we just, yeah. we don't mean it as, as disrespect. It's a, uh, it's, a, it's an imperfect world. And, 
Unfortunately, people are always looking for opportunities to drink. I mean, the COVID's on, Miss Soto. Haven't you heard? You got you got to have something to kill that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of uh, imperfect world, Dennis Lee, uh, did you hear about the woman that didn't know that she was on pregnant? Uh, didn't know she was on pregnant. She was didn't know pregnant. she was pregnant. What and the she, hell? She gave birth on a flight to Hawaii. Oh my! Oh goodness. my goodness! I mean, I. I have heard of these stories where, you know, some women didn't realize they were pregnant and, and until they were ready to give birth. But anyway, this story is on is Wednesday, somewhere over the Pacific, a woman who didn't know she was pregnant gave birth to a baby boy. Lavinia Lavi Monga was flying wow. from, from Salt Lake City to Honolulu on uh it says April the 28th for a vacation when she gave birth to her son, Raymond. Uh, he arrived early at 29 weeks gestation. It says in the article gestation. Yeah. Uh, luckily a doctor from Hawaii and three neonatal intensive care unit nurses were on the same plane as she was. Now, I mean, how, how lucky is that? I mean, does that ever happen? I'm sure if something happened to me and I was on a plane, there wouldn't, there wouldn't be anything on there but a veterinarian. Wouldn't so, be a swinging soul. <laughs> or, or a plastic um, surgeon or something. Yeah. And, um, and, and m- m- most of all airlines, you know, have like strict regulations about, about women being on flights that are pregnant because usually after like like a cer- certain week in, in pregnancy, which lasts up to 40 weeks, usually there's like a like a cutoff period that they won't either allow them to fly or or you got to pay like double price in, in the event, like you were to, to go into labor mid flight. <laughs> you're going to have to pay for the seat for that baby. You yeah. Know? You're not, you're not allowed to sit in anybody's lap. You know, we don't, that is true. Uh, but you know, maybe, oh, you know, that raises a thought now. Did she really not know she was pregnant or she was just trying to say that so she could take that flight when she shouldn't have been taking, but the, well, the, that's but, a million dollar question, but the baby was early anyway. So, uh, Premature. Mm-hmm. Let's see. One of the one of the nurses said we were about halfway through the flight when we heard someone call out for medical help. Uh, North Kansas City Hospital NICU nurse Lonnie Bamfield said, uh, "I went to see what was going on, and and there was this lady holding a baby in her hands, and it was tiny. I mean, it's really a you know a preemie, so it's it's very small. There's a picture of the woman with the baby, uh, almost like that picture of." Of Joe Biden and uh, Jimmy Carter, kind of weird, small thing. Um, let's see. I don't know how a patient gets so lucky as to have three neonatal intensive care nurses on board the same flight when she is in emergency labor, but that was the situation we were in. Uh, Dr. Dale Glenn said uh, he was also on the flight. The great thing about this was teamwork. Everybody jumped in and everybody helped out. He described how challenging it was to care for both patients in such a small, confined space like an airplane. They also had to improvise on tools, using shoelaces to tie and cut the umbilical cord and an Apple watch to monitor the baby's heartbeat. Um, Munga, Munga has since been discharged, but the little baby Raymond is still in the NICU unit. <laughs> So, uh, the baby's still in the hospital. I guess the baby's still in Hawaii. So, uh, 
Jeez. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't. It doesn't say whether mom came back to the uh, to the states or not, or came back to the uh, to the lower forty-eight. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, that that term. So, but yeah, I find it hard to believe. But you know, uh, I I have heard stories before of women, you know, going into labor and they didn't even realize they were pregnant. So. <laughs> um, I, I know of a woman in like the neighborhood I used to live in up until about two and a half years ago that at one time she was pregnant and didn't even didn't even realize it. But this woman, you know, sadly passed away about two years ago after um, being diagnosed with terminal stage cancer and didn't even know she was was eat up with cancer. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, um, I mean, um, I, I don't. I don't. I can't seem to like place one because I don't recall ever meeting her. But, but I, I was told that you know she was kind of like um, stocky built, um, and and it was the wife of like, like the like the owners of like a tow truck business that was, you know, right next door to the house that I used to live in. Mm. Um, but I mean. And, and this is a family I'd like known for years and they, they knew my grandparents when, when that, my grandparents were alive. But, but I think that tow truck business has since closed up shop. Yeah. I, but I digress on that. <laughs> I, like I said, I, I've heard stories before and I, I would imagine, you know, uh, several months maybe, but uh, almost to the point where you're ready to go in labor. That just mm-hmm. seems, but you know, it happens. There's stories about it, so well, indeed it does. Um, well, that, that that is true, of course. Dennis, you got a rocket? Yeah, there's a story by uh, Paul D. Shinkman um, from U.S. News. Pentagon can't say when or where, but the Chinese rocket will crash into Earth. Um, the Pentagon on Wednesday said it doesn't know where a Chinese rocket will come crashing to Earth three days before it's expected re-entry and there's been an update. They think this bad boy is going to crash into earth somewhere um, tomorrow. So get prepared for that. Uh, it's too soon to know exactly where it's going to come down. The defense department spokesman, John Kirby said of the huge long March five B rocket, which launched China's first permanent space station into orbit. U S space command assesses, Almost the entire body of the rocket remains intact, Kirby said, and that it will return to Earth somewhere around the 8th of May. But what I saw today, they said around the 6th. So uh, it's also too soon to explore options about what, if anything, can be done about this until we have a better sense of where it's coming down, Kirby said, confirming a prior statement from Space Command that it would only have a few hours' notice once it determines the rocket's return trajectory. I don't want to hypothesize or speculate about possible actions the department might or might not take here. We're tracking it. We're following it as closely as we can. It's just a little too soon to know where it's going to go or what, if anything, can be done about it. China, though, um, through its state media on Wednesday, blasted Western hype of the China threat, China, in space <laughs> technology advancement. <clears throat> citing civilian experts who believe it is completely normal for rocket debris to return to Earth and that it will likely fall in international waters, offering no official assessment of potential dangers. 
you know, but the whales and the dolphins are getting a little pissed off. Well, there's the some ships out there too. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, um, that, that could be, uh, could be a bad thing. Um, the it, risk you... of this, <laughs> the risk yeah. of this falling space debris, however, has raised alarm among many analysts. Um, <laughs> or analysts. This but, is not uh, unique. Things come down. I mean, don't they? When you, what's unique about this is it's so large, and the Chinese did nothing to try uh, to control its reentry or mitigate risk. Um, Todd Harrison, director of the Aerospace Security Project at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Geez, Todd. That's a long place you work at, um, tells U.S. News. This is evidence that there are a junior space power that hasn't really figured out how to operate safely and responsibly. Oh, someone just got busted. Beijing Space Agency, as of Tuesday, had not stated whether it believed the core stage of the huge rocket is being controlled during its descent. A common practice among space-faring countries that allows refuse to burn up in the atmosphere, or if it didn't, know how the rocket would fall. American officials have previously slammed Chinese behavior in space as the burgoing superpower expands its celestial exploration. I mean, really, they want to go everywhere. In 2007, it tested an anti-satellite missile and successfully destroyed one of its orbiting weather satellites. Pretty smart there, China. A message to the world of its new capabilities and a grave concern to Western powers. Incidents like those are allowed, in part, due to relatively few international laws or rules governing space operations. Most recently, an 18-ton Chinese rocket fell uncontrolled into the Atlantic Ocean in May near the coast of West Africa, marking the largest piece of space debris to fall to Earth since the Soviet space station Salyut 7 in 1991. The latest rocket is even bigger at 100 feet long. China's first space station in 2016 crashed into the Pacific Ocean after officials confirmed they had lost control of it. Three years later, China executed a controlled demolition of its second station, Kangong 2 in Earth's atmosphere. It remains unclear whether international condemnation at this latest incident will change China's behavior. Beijing has not engaged in similar anti-satellite operations following near-universal outrage at its 2007 test, Harrison notes. And as for the risk of going outside on Saturday, he adds, not really any at all. The odds of it hitting you are trivial, Harrison says. But, um, yeah, and, you know, China has uh, got some big aspirations for space there. You know, I'm sure that they want to, you know, go to the moon, go to Mars, maybe stop off at Uranus. <laughs> Who knows where they could end up? Um, well, I have to. <laughs> I saw better at it. I saw the. Uh, I think they did that story on the news today, and they were talking about um, the weight of that rocket, and of course, the size is larger than what the U.S. uses. Which you know, uh, the U.S. says the one they use, they use that particular size because, it, and I forget the weight because most of it'll break up as it re-enters, but. 
because the one that China sent up is so big, it's it, it's not going to break up like they normally do. So yeah, I think they might be overcompensating there. Um, well, but, they, you know, you know they're, they're counting on the fact that, you know, the majority of the earth is water, you know, largest part, 70 something percent of the earth is water. And they figure their odds are pretty good about hitting water, but you know, there's a lot of little islands and things too, that, wow. you know, I can just see this poor couple that this is their first vacation in 20 years. And, uh, and then uh, they get hit by a Chinese rocket. So, oh, Janice, I'm so glad we're here on the beach. Can yeah. you believe we've got the whole beach to ourselves? Yeah, because people are running. Why aren't people running? <laughs> I think they're filming another one of those movies down on the beach. Mercy, mercy. Yeah, but they, you know, they probably don't. They don't operate under the same rules. They, they're, they're not guided by uh, concern for others. <clears throat> well, you know how that goes. <laughs> Okie dokie. All well, right. well it, let's, um, it's let's time let's to get it. into your corner. Yeah, let's let this uh, folks kick off the corner here. Maybe. Yeah, right there. Okay, let's try. Mexican Americans don't like to just get into gang fights. They like flowers and <laughs> Mexican Americans are named Chata and Chela and Chema and have a son in law named Jeff. Mexican Americans don't like to get up early in the morning, but they have to, so they do it real slow. Well, happy single de Mayo. I just uh, a version <laughs> of I've never heard before. Uh, that's Chi Chong. I mean, you can only expect the best out of them. And it wasn't what I was expecting <clears throat> from the lead no. either. No. I know. <laughs> I caught you off guard there, didn't yes, I? Yes, you did. You, you, <clears throat> you got one over on me. Well, well <laughs> the Daily Mail, uh, Andrew Court, um, says that the, there's an article that strange string of lights seen over Seattle prompts UFO speculation, but is it? Strange lights were seen over the skies of Seattle Tuesday night have left some residents wondering whether they have seen a UFO. Dozens of people took to Twitter to share footage of the unexplained lights, with many claiming it was evidence of extraterrestrial activity. Several videos show the long, thin line of lights moving quickly across the darkened sky. Social media users as far north as Vancouver, Canada, 120 miles from Seattle, also recorded clips of the flying objects. What did we just witness over the Seattle area, one asked. The thing was silent, huge in scale, at least a few football fields, and moving fast to the southeast. They pondered whether it could be a UFO or even a secret black-budget government craft. But the real answer seems to be much more mundane, with an astronomer explaining that the lights came from Uranus. Nope. 
scratch that. Uh, uh, it came from, it came from, my goodness, who put that in there? Uh, it came from Elon Musk's Starlink internet satellites. More than 1,300 of the SpaceX satellites are currently orbiting the Earth, and they are grouped into string-like constellations that are visible from the ground when the light reflects from their solar panels. Um, the Starlink satellite constellations provide broadband access and consist of mass-produced small satellites, which orbit around the Earth and work in combination with a ground transceiver. And... Sh- Sounds like a damn ad. I think they run for $99 a, a system. Um, <laughs> Jonathan McDowell, who work uh, works as an astronomer at the Center for Astrophysics. Whoa, that's got to hurt. In Massachusetts, took to social media saying that the light certainly came from Starlink satellites. 60 Starlink satellites were launched from Kennedy Space Center on Tuesday afternoon. On their seventh orbit of the Earth, they pass southeast over Seattle and central Idaho. Hey there, Robert. At around 9.20 to 9.30 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, along the track shown in the map on this article. So if you live in the area where and, uh, and saw a string of pearls, whoa there, buddy. It's a family show. In the sky around that time, that was the Starlink satellites still close together after being deployed from the Falcon 9 rocket. Last year, astronomers complained that the Starlink satellites were too bright in the sky and ruined their views of the night sky and wait till they all get up there, buddy. Musk promises to fix the brightness of the satellites in an April 2020 Twitter post, responding to a user who asked, is there a reason they've been brighter and more noticeably lately? I feel like tons of people are spotting them all over all of a sudden, and they, they went fairly unnoticed before. According to a report pub- published in Vox last week, astronomers are still asserting that the satellites are too bright. So what is it going to have somebody go up into space with a scotch bright and just dull those things down? Um, the effect of the satellite constellations is like painting graffiti on a World Heritage site, but not just graffiti in one particular location. Graffiti that can be seen the world over, the report stated. Thanks a lot, Elon Musk. <laughs> um, so there's another one. <clears throat> you know, those pesky moths that get in your closet and, you know, eat holes into your old jacket that you may wear to a wedding or a funeral or a bar mitzvah every once in a blue moon. Um, you have moths? No, not me. Well, I mean, there's one outside my window right now. But um, Annabelle Dolliner of Newsweek wrote an article about a rat-sized monster moth, (laughs) too heavy to even fly, was discovered at an Australian school. Now, they may need to do some cleaning in that school. I mean, I wonder what the COVID protocol is like. Um, From venomous snakes to giant lizards and hairy tarantulas, uh, Australia is home to countless terrifying and unusual wild critters. Um, But weirdest of them might be the lesser known insect, an enormous moth reportedly the size of a rat. That's right, Cubella. It's a wood moth. On Tuesday, Tuesday, uh, news.com AU reported that the monstrously large moth measuring two fists in length, that's an 
odd measurement. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard of that before. Uh, no, I don't. I hope not. I think, I think that's an astral projection. Uh, was discovered in Queensland after the animal was found, and now it's an animal. I thought it was an insect. Was found by workers on a construction site at Mount Cotton State School. They took photos, which were later shared by the school and on social media. Um, wow, this thing is huge. I mean, really. The image shows the moth perched on the edge of a saw while a pair of hands hold it from a safe distance. I don't know whose hands, just a pair of hands. The gray fuzzy looking creature is clearly massive, appearing to measure about a third of the length of the blade or two fists. Um, in, in an interview with ABC radio, Dr. Christine Lambkin um, uh, not lamb cake, slam Ken, head of etymology at the Queensland Museum, identified the species as a giant wood moth. And uh, that's very good, Cubella, um, which is actually the world's largest moth by weight. Um, two fists, that is. In fact, these types of moths get so heavy that they struggle to even fly. Uh, they fly very, very poorly, added Lampkin. <laughs> In most cases, when they emerge, the females just crawl up the damn tree and sit there and wait for the males to find them. (laughs) 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 The females of the species can reach a whopping nearly 10-inch wingspan or a fist and a half and weigh up to 30 grams, while the males are much smaller. (laughs) What is it with the fist measurements? I mean, (laughs) who could just... Who wrote this? <laughs> Primary school principal Megan Stewart reportedly called the discovery an amazing find, but added that they weren't surprised that the moth was lurking on school grounds. <laughs> the school's location next to a rainforest has brought strange animals onto the campus before. She also told ABC Radio that one of the school's classes led by teacher Mrs. Wilson Use the images of the creature as a starting point for a creative writing assignment. The students wrote some very creative and imaginative pieces of writing, including Mrs. Wilson's Getting Eaten by the Giant Moth, titled Two Fists. What the hell, said Stewart. Um, she added that the moth has since been returned to the nearby rainforest. According to news.com, AU, a giant wood moths are found between North Queensland and southern New South Wales. They're distinguished not only by their enormous size, but also by their dark circular pattern around their throats. I didn't know a moth had a throat either. Uh, while stumbling upon a giant wood moth is relatively rare, um, it reportedly becomes more common at the end of Australia's summer season. So... Um, my goodness, yeah, that's that's one uh, that's one big moth. Um, but um, we'll wrap this up with uh, the last one from Mina Theravagadam um, from tra- Travel and Leisure. A Belgian farmer accidentally moved Belgium's border with France and almost created World War Three. A Belgian farmer accidentally moved the country's border with France by about eight feet causing a minor international incident this week. We know exactly where the stone was before, right next to a tree. That sounds like a 
a direction that we would give in Texas. David Laveau, the mayor of Urkelins, Belgium, where the incident occurred, told CNN, in 2019, during the 200th anniversary, they were geolocalized very precisely. The border between Belgium and France stretches for about 390 miles and is marked by stones that have been in place for more than 200 years. In this particular location, Urquillens, a Belgian town of about 10,000, shares a board uh, a border with uh, Bosaginis, uh, Bosag, I don't know, something Ciroc, a <laughs> French town of just 400 people. Laveau was expecting a quick resolution without escalation. He said, we laughed about this more than anything else. It is not very serious, he told CNN. We're going to put back the border where it belongs. Our intention was not to, wasn't to make Belgium bigger and France smaller because we know how they are. Um, the farmer is believed to have moved the stone to a more convenient location out of his way, a shift that accidentally added about 11,000 square feet to Belgium. French officials appear to be taking the unintentional encroachment in stride and are working with their cross-border counterparts on a speedy resolution. I fully trust my Belgian counterpart who did, the, uh, who did what was necessary with the farmer. We asked him to move the stone back. R. Lee Wellenick, the mayor of the French border town of uh, Blah said in an interview with a French press agency, if a farmer were to resist, the French Ministry of Foreign Affairs would need to get involved, she said. But this is, that is a disagreement no one is expecting. Laveau told CNN that the, they, he was expecting the issue to be resolved this week. He said, we are about to find the person that moved the stone so we can lob off their head. And, um, you know, I thought they quit doing that back in the day. But, um, yeah. So don't go moving stones in a foreign country. It could cause a war. So, I mean, would they really miss it? <laughs> <laughs> well, you really miss it. Apparently, there's somebody who just walks around looking for the freaking stones uh, to see if they've been moved or not. And uh, this one was. I think I'd want so. something a little more permanent, you know, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's right, Jess Duck. I mean, I don't know. Um, but I mean, it's been there for 200 years, and people have been farming around it all this time. This guy was like, you know what? The hell with it. I'm tired of this rock. It's on my property. I'm going to move it. Um, Did you touch my rocks? No, nah, you know, you just can't touch anybody's stones these days. Mm. So, especially, uh, especially the rolling stones. That's right. <laughs> that's all we got out of the corners <laughs> this evening. Out of the corners? Baru, baru. All right. Well, okay. I guess uh, bring my friend up here and let him do his thing oh, oh, oh yeah maybe come on man what are we talking about come on man 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 how many push-ups you want to do here pal <laughs> you know, I get creeped out every time I hear that. <laughs> oh, if you heard the whole thing, it it gets worse. That's that's the least least thing he could say. 
Come um, on, buddy. How many push-ups you want? Yeah, to do, really? and and he's talking to the woman that's reporting, doing yeah, the uh, interview. Is Lord, that's a woman, Biden. Um, jeez. I bet I can do more push-ups than you. I don't know. I don't know what that's about. All right, so um, back to Portland, back to the West Coast. Ah, this is yeah. this is from. My old buddy, Mike Huckabee, uh, says Portland officials might finally be getting serious about crime. Uh, Saturday's May Day demonstrations by various communist sympathizing groups, including some violent, included some violence and vandalism. But maybe a little good news will come out of it, like some signs that Portland officials might finally be getting serious about holding violent leftist rioters to account after a year of them destroying and terrorizing the city with impunity. Seven people were arrested out of 50 black-clad protesters who rioted at an ICE facility Saturday night, and the county prosecutor said they're actually moving forward with prosecuting three of them on felony charges. Let's hope that's just a long overdue start. How long overdue? Check out the linked article to see the unmasked faces of these geniuses who think they should be running America and to read their rap sheets. Stare in slack-jawed amazement at how many times some of these cosplay revolutionaries have been arrested in Portland, only to be given bail, have the charges dropped, or simply be turned loose the next day to go right back to rioting and menacing police again. These are charges that would have gotten any of us thrown under the jail. Nancy Pelosi probably would agree to keep Gitmo open if they would just fill it with Trump voters. So I'm, I'm going to jump off of that article and go. It, I looked at this. It's from the American News, and it shows some of these people. It gives their, it gives their photographs. They're a hoot. Um, and it talks about some of the people that were arrested that they're hopefully going to make some charges stick this time. So I'm going to go through, there's only five of them, I believe. Uh, some of these people are really winners. Uh, there's 22 year old. I hope you don't know any of these, but no one knows any of these 22 year old Jeremiah day of Portland allegedly brandished a butterfly knife at an officer before reapproaching police after taking cover behind an umbrella, according to court documents. He then allegedly tried fleeing on foot before being caught and arrested. He was originally charged with seven counts of menacing officers with a knife, felony unlawful use of a weapon, resisting arrest, felony riot, and interfering with a peace officer. Despite the 11 offenses, Day was quickly released without bail. The district attorney's office dropped six of Day's menacing counts, but is proceeding with the other more serious charges. Around the same time as the riot outside the ICE facility, a group around a hundred Antifa carrying riot gear marched through downtown. They shut down traffic and vandalized businesses and property. Portland police declared... A riot. Phoebe Ann Loomis, 37, of Portland, was arrested for felony first-degree criminal mischief. That sounds serious. Though quickly released without bail, she has since been charged by the district attorney's office with felony riot plus two more felony criminal mischief charges. The post-millennial can report that Loomis is a core member in Portland's Antifa scene. 
She was arrested carrying a helmet, gloves, a metal bar, pepper spray, and a gas mask. Loomis, who has an Antifa gang tattoo on her chest, was previously convicted over her role at another May Day riot back in 2017. Third suspect charged in the district attorney's office is Quang Tai Nguyen of Kent, Washington. The 20-year-old is charged with felony first-degree criminal mischief and two counts of attempted criminal mischief. Felony riot has since been added to the slew of charges. A hammer, a slingshot were seized from Nguyen, and he was quickly bailed out. He was also found to be carrying a book titled How to Make a Sling. The book was given out at an Antifa May Day Zion Fair earlier in the day at Peninsula Park. This isn't the first time Nguyen has been accused of violent criminal behavior at an Antifa riot. He was arrested in a riot last November uh, in Seattle for failure to disperse pedestrian interference and obstruction, but those charges were dropped. Christopher McDonald, uh, let's see, Christopher Michael McDonald, Donnelly, 27, of Kelso, Washington, was arrested for felony riot, first-degree criminal mischief, and resisting arrest. He was quickly bailed out. A repeat accused offender, Donnelly, was arrested at least five times at riots in 2020. He was given a conditional pretrial release. Uh, he wouldn't uh, you know, participate in any more civil disorder cases, but then, of course, he's violated that this time. Now, here we got Darren Ray Stevens, 36 of Portland, when arrested for second-degree criminal mischief, unlawfully applying graffiti and unlawful possession of a graffiti implement. He was quickly released without bail. Stevens was arrested last year at another riot and charged with second-degree burglary, burglary, two counts of felony first-degree theft, felony riot, providing police with false information. Uh, his next... Uh, cases in May. In addition to the five arrests at the evening rights, three others have been charged over a protest-related altercation. Uh, where's this guy? I think it's Charles Ernest Stubbs. Uh, was recorded brandishing a knife, threatening to slit a counter-protester's throat and mutilate his genitals. He was arrested on Monday and charged with two felony counts of unlawful use of a weapon, menacing conduct, and he was quickly bailed out. He also uh, participated in riots last year in Portland and was arrested for second-degree trespassing and felony possession of body armor. I didn't know that was a, a, a felony. And Randy Graves is also recorded at the incident threatening the same man, Michael Isaacs. Graves was arrested and charged with menacing second degree disorderly conduct. He was quickly bailed out. And uh, he was uh, also in, arrested over an incident where he was accused of threatening park rangers with an axe. Uh, Michael Isaacs, the bat wielding counter protester, was threatened in the street was also arrested. Uh, he's been referred to another district for sentencing. So these people are career, <laughs> but I, I, I thought there was another one that, that uh, threatened to uh, cut somebody, but that one guy, he was, uh, you ought to see the pictures of these people. 
Um, this one guy looks like uh, he's gone through some changes in life the last couple of years. But, you know, I always thought if you got rested more than once or twice on something that you would probably have to spend some serious time in jail. But, uh, you know, there's been numerous stories of these people in Seattle and Portland that, uh, you know, keep getting arrested and then they keep getting let out and many of them without bail. So no one of the people up there are frustrated and, and uh, wanting to move away from that beautiful part of the country. So that's, that's it with the, uh, little protesters. The protesters. I mean, I, I think I'd be embarrassed if I was arrested carrying a book, how to make a slingshot. Uh, and I'm in my late twenties, early thirties. I mean, I had a couple of slingshots when I was a kid, but I've never, never carried one as an adult. <laughs> I mean, is that the best that you can do? Right. Is that all you got? Um, you show up at a riot with a slingshot. I mean, really? Now, the butterfly knives, you know, I mean, those they're serious, but not a slingshot. Um, well, I've got a... Uh, <laughs> I've got an article by uh, Coleman Andrews by off of 24-7 Tempo. That is a list of very famous people that all died at the dinner table. Um, so, not to get too gruesome. Not the um, same dinner table, I hope. No, no, no. Uh, the first one on the list is uh, Britannicus, um, February 11th, 55 AD. Um, Tiberius Claudius Caesar Britannicus, son of the Roman Emperor Claudius, was in line for the throne when occupied by the notorious Nero as soon as he became an adult, which was at the age of 14 back then, according to Roman tradition. Nero couldn't have uh, that and, and engaged in the services of the same skilled prisoner who had helped Claudius into the hereafter. According to the historian Tacitus, at a dinner party attended by various nobles, the then 13-year-old Britannicus was served a hot beverage of some kind. His food taster tried it with no ill effects, but Britannicus asked for it to be cooled down, and poison-laced cold water was added. The effect was instantaneous, and the boy expired. That means, you know, he died. Nero denied responsibility and claimed that the boy had an epileptic fit. Hmm. Sounds like a... Very, um, well, you know, he shouldn't have pissed somebody off. Tycho Brahe, um, uh, October 24th, 1601. The great Danish scientist considered to be one of the founders of the modern astronomy. Um, yes, even he was looking at Uranus. Uh, even <laughs> though he worked with a, without a telescope, an instrument not invented until after his death. So uh, didn't exactly die at the table because he stayed at the table. While seated at a banquet in Prague, he found nature calling urgently. He refused to get up and relieve himself. However, as he believed it would be a breach of etiquette, I mean, they'd rather just piss his pants. Uh, when the meal was finally over, he got home. 
He was unable to urinate. He died 11 days later from uremia, urine in the blood. Didn't know it was a thing. The result of his ill-advised politeness. So, lesson learned. When you got to go, go. Um, And then you might remember old Tom Parr. Um, They don't remember when the date was. Somewhere back in 1635. Long celebrated in England as the world's oldest man. Parr was said to have been almost 153 years old when he died. He was so famous that his portrait was painted by Rubens and Van Dyck. And shortly (laughs) before his demise, he was brought to London to meet King Charles I. This was unfortunate, though. The monarch feted him at a banquet, in the course of which he choked on some food and passed away. My goodness. I mean, to live all that long and to choke on your chicken, I just don't know. Um, Let's see. Then there's the case of the curious case of Dennis Diderot, um, July 31st, 1784. This famed French philosopher and writer, best known for his mid 18th century encyclopedia or encyclopedia was also noticed uh, was a noted gourmand. Um, after a large meal at his daughter's home, the story goes, Diderot, who suffered from emphysema, reached for an apricot for dessert. His wife told him he'd had enough to eat, but he scoffed and he ate the fruit anyway and he died. And she said, I told you so. Dumbass. So An apricot put him over yeah, the edge? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put him hmm. over the edge. And old James Madison, June 28, 1836. Madison, who was considered the father of the Constitution for having drafted much of it, and who went on to serve as Secretary of State before coming the, becoming the fourth president of the United States, died quietly at the breakfast table on a Tuesday morning at his plantation in Virginia. He was 83. An advanced age in that era, and apparently succumbed to natural causes. Oh, yeah. So it wasn't any food issue with him. Uh, well, he was at the breakfast table. I mean, he probably passed out in his eggs Benedict or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, a- Andrew Sachs, um, April 9th, 1912. In 1902, Sachs and his brother Isidore, who had run a men's store in Washington, D.C., opened Sachs and Company on 34th Street in Manhattan. After the store moved to a new location, it eventually became Saks Fifth Avenue. Andrew didn't live to see it, though. In 1912, a dozen years before the new store appeared, he died of unspecified causes while eating dinner in a private room at Sherry's, an elegant and expensive New York City restaurant that catered to high society. Um, so I don't know. We'll have to do a little more digging into that one. It sounds a little risque. Um, <laughs> and then old King Farouk of Egypt, March 18th, 1965. Farouk I, the second to last king of Egypt and one-time brother-in-law to the Shah of Iran, was a thin boy when he ascended to the throne at age 16. By the time he was deposed 16 years later, he was a bloated glutton, weighing more than 325 pounds. Despite his girth, he was a notorious playboy and was dining with an attractive blonde 20 years his junior. At the 
Le de France restaurant in Rome when he died. His last meal is said to have consisted of oysters, lobsters, lamb, cake, and fruit. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> he was just lighting a post-prandial cigar when death struck. Rumors as he was poisoned by Egypt's president, Gamal Abdel Nassar, and that has never been substantiated. But, um, my goodness. And we'll round out with old Crazy Joe, old Joseph Gallo, April 7th, 1972, the famous or the infamous mafia crime boss responsible for numerous murders or and for igniting a bloody mob war with rival, rival Colombo crime family, was shot to death on his 43rd birthday while eating at Umberto's Clam House in New York City's Little Italy. He was dining at 4.30 in the morning. I mean, probably should have been in bed there, buddy. With his sister, Carmela, and his new wife, her young daughter, and his bodyguard and the bodyguard's girlfriend. As Gallo was reaching for a second helping a shrimp and skungili salad, four Colombo gunmen entered the place, riddling him with bullets. So I don't know what the hell a skungili salad is. I'm not sure. Probably shouldn't have been eating that either. Um, <laughs> but, I like uh, salads, but uh, <laughs> but I mean one, a, sc- a skungili. Uh, I mean, really. Um, but yeah, those are uh, famous people that died at the dinner table. I think or it's a small table, muskrat or, or something. Yeah. It could be. I don't know. It's out of New York, so um, yeah. That's all I got on that. <laughs> well. Uh, I did something like this. Uh, I can't remember now, but it was several months ago. Uh, and this, this article is from uh, board Panda, some boardpanda.com, And it's, it says 40 of the worst newspaper headlines to make you face palm at the stupidity. I'm not sure what face palm is that where you just bring your hands up to your face. And- I thought that would make you go blind. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I'm, face. I'm not really sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. Where, uh, uh, the, the two, some of these in here, I think I, I did on the last one. Uh, they picked up some that were in another article by someone else. But uh, this one is by Jonas Gingivitis and Ilona Gingivitis. Sorry. I'm sticking to that. I don't know how to pronounce that. Oh, that my name. goodness. So that's, you know, <laughs> is oh. anybody really going to look it up? Um uh. I'm going to read their little intro into this thing. It says, there is hardly anything better than waking up at the crack of dawn and making some English breakfast, uh, scrambled eggs, bacon, fried tomatoes and mushrooms, and a bit of toast with marmalade and a large mug of Earl Grey tea. Uh, It must be an English newspaper. Uh, And what better way to enjoy this feast than by eating it whilst you read the morning newspapers? Unfortunately, some newspaper headlines can make us do a spit take and drench the entire page in delicious tea. Splash of milk, no sugar. You know the type of headlines that I mean. Unintentionally amusing, very silly, and quite obvious how stupid they are if they over, over if the overworked editors would have looked at them uh, more closely. Our team of board panda has run flown and swum all over the planet looking for hilarious and idiotic newspaper articles 
all for your amusement. So put your reading glasses on and scroll down and upvote the headlines you enjoy. So hmm. obviously you can't do that since you're not on the article. So uh, I'm going to try to skip over the ones that I remember doing the last time. And again, it was a different article. But this first one on the list is homicide victims rarely talk to the police, according to this newspaper article. Think about that for a second. Yeah. Well, I mean, that really, how would they? <laughs> uh, we hate math, says four in 10, a majority of Americans, according to this next newspaper article. Um uh, I may have done this one last time, but I'm going to do it again. Breathing oxygen linked to staying alive by the outdoors outpost. Um, from uh, and some of them, they don't really give the, the newspaper, I guess, for legal reasons. It says on teenagers and adults, statistics show that teen pregnancy drops off significantly after the age of 25. Think about that one for a second. Marijuana issue sent to a joint committee, according to the Toronto Star. China may be <laughs> China may be using sea to hide its submarines. <laughs> where, where else are they going to put them? Uh, oh boy! Uh, this is uh, golly. I wish they would tell what publication this one says. Diana was still alive hours before she died. I'm talking about Princess Di. Oh, well. Um, <laughs> from the Daily Sun, man kills himself and runs away. <laughs> so, uh, oh boy. Uh, I think somebody <laughs> mispronounced him dead. Uh, this one, this one from the Observer says a nuclear explosion would be a disaster. Well, you think? According to Lucy Parkinson, um, uh, this I think this is from the Associated Press. World Bank says poor need more money. Huh. Uh, I mean, boy, anybody can get a job these days. I tell you. And there's one from a Russian newspaper. I wish I could read Russian because I have no idea what it says, but uh, it it looks funny. Uh, from serious uh, <laughs> one says one armed man applauds the kindness of strangers. <laughs> I you know. I'm not making this up. Tiger Woods plays with own balls, Nike says. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, oh boy. That's a, that's a that's our crackpot sports writer over there, I tell you. Uh, this one this is a re police report. It says man arrested for everything. So I guess they decided <laughs> anything that he did was <laughs> I I was framed, I tell you. I was framed. They arrested me for everything. Um <laughs> Oh, here's one that says bridges help people to cross rivers. Uh, <laughs> I mean, can you not uh, catch well, this stuff? They do get you across troubled waters, Donald. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I, I'm going to get in trouble for this one, maybe. I don't know. It, I'm, I'm just going to claim ignorance. This is from, golly, I wish I could see. 
Oh, where is this? I can't tell. I can't read it. The headline is Girl School Still Offering Something Special Hyphen Head. So um, oh my goodness that's uh and there's that, oh, that's uh they showing the showing the uh headmistress of the school over here on the I right bet the they are. <laughs> i bet they are <laughs> my goodness Jeez. Oh, uh, that no, must have I've been in the new york times <laughs> i don't know i don't know where that one i couldn't couldn't read the name of the paper uh oh my goodness <laughs> Here's one. Northfield plans to plan strategic plans. <laughs> Here's what. <laughs> That's what you get with nepotism. I mean, I'm really. Starting to sweat um, here. Here's one. I'm going to bring my boy in to write columns now. It's from the food section of some. I think it says the free press. <laughs> it says rape fruit. Good for every meal. Oh, my goodness. Um. It must be a new, Jeez. new, uh, a new kind. I've not seen that one. <laughs> Good Ro Lord. Rooms with broken air conditioners are hot. Oh my! Oh, I'm not. I wish they'd at least tell what state that these were done in. <laughs> I know. That would, that would be uh, sometimes like this one. This is the. Uh... <laughs> This is the back page, and it says something about Sacramento, so it must be California. Uh, state population to double by 2040, babies to blame. Um, <laughs> Those damn babies. I mean, really, they're ruining the world. All right. I, I've said before, I wasn't a fan of Barack Obama, but it's only for political reasons. But this this particular article says Republicans turned off by size of Obama's package. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, that's, well, that's, that's, that's somebody, leaked, somebody leaked that one out, I tell you. <laughs> you <know>. Here's... <laughs> Here's one from some newspaper in Copenhagen. Copenhagen, World in Brief. It says Greenland meteorite may be from space. <laughs> well, I bet it's from Uranus. That's probably what they'll deduce on that one. Oh my goodness! Oh my! Oh, I'm my glad goodness. I didn't bring the tequila up here. Where, where, I mean, where, the, uh, where else would the meteorite be from? It's, here, here's a survey that finds survey finds fewer deer after hunt. <laughs> <laughs> Barbershop singers bring joy to school for death. <laughs> oh, you just can't make this stuff up. I'm telling you. I'm not. I'm not. I here's hope the these people are not still employed. I mean. <laughs> Oh my. oh my! Woman, woman missing said she got lost. <laughs> oh my god! Oh no! Gosh! Oh uh, boy! Most, most, most earthquake damage is caused by shaking. In this article. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's people running and screaming 
These people got jobs doing this stuff. Here's That's another amazing. one from Sacramento, California. Homeless survive winter. <laughs> now what? <laughs> <laughs> now what? That's what the article says. Jeez. Oh, I, I did that one about the students cook and serve grandparents last time. Um, uh, <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that one. All right. <laughs> Scientists. I'm sorry, Jess. Scientists to kill ducks to see why they're dying. Scientists to kill ducks to see to why see they're why dying. dying. I feel uh, like I need to repeat them like um, Ed McMahon did on the Johnny like Carson he, show. When he yeah. do Karnak. Yeah, I need to look at him like, what the? Um, uh, that's interesting. <laughs> um, uh, What's Let's see, where is this? Uh, was bank robber a he or a she? And then it circles underneath that. The headline says, breast might be a clue. <laughs> <laughs> well, these days, you Maybe never like know. Maybe it could be a costume. Uh, yeah. Prisoners serving 2,000-year sentence could face more time. Oh, Really? Man, I don't think he's worried about it. Or she, man found you know. dead in graveyard. Uh, that's a headline. <laughs> oh my gosh! I think that was it. Okay, that's it. That's <laughs> jeez. That's uh, I probably could have gotten a job, you know, writing this stuff. Yeah. Uh, I mean, really, just people get paid for these things. Editors get paid for these things. All right. Well, oh, well, oh, let's um, let's go from that. We'll go to Fox News. Luis uh, Cassiano, be careful. South Carolina is to bring back uh, wants to bring back firing squads for executions. <laughs> South well, Carolina, South so much Carolina, for humane. Right. Um, South Carolina is poised to bring back firing squads to its list of execution methods. I didn't know there was a, you know, a big list, but uh, amid a shortage of drugs to carry out lethal injections in an effort to resume capital punishment after a decade. The state house voted 66 to 43 Wednesday on legislation that would allow death row inmates to choose between <laughs> this is almost like your articles donald lane they would allow death row inmates to choose between being shot or electrocuted <laughs> if lethal injection drugs were uh, weren't available i mean i don't know billy can i think, think about I it should... for another 20 years <laughs> Let me talk about it with the guys. I mean, yeah. what do you think I should do? I really, I don't have the right outfit to wear for a shooting. I'd rather be electrocuted. What do you think? Um, the state <laughs> is one of the nine that still use the electric chair and will become the fourth to use firing squads. Who the hell else is still using firing squads? Um the state Senate approved the bill in March after another routine uh, vote in the House. The bill will head to the desk of Republican Governor Henry McMaster, who said he will sign it. Shoot them, son bitches, he said. We are one step closer to providing victims, families, and loved ones with the justice and closure they are owed by law. Hell, let them shoot them themselves. He tweeted on Wednesday after the vote. He didn't He didn't really say let them shoot oh, them themselves. Um, I will sign this legislation as soon as it gets to my desk, he said. 
Supporters say, uh, oh, just like said, Mississippi, Utah, and Oklahoma. Uh, well, I figure the Oklahomans, they just shoot anybody. Um, the supporters say the, the bill will deliver justice to those convicted of violent crimes. Opponents decried the death penalty, but also cited the possibility of innocent people being put to death. Others brought up George Stinney, the youngest person executed in the U.S. in the 20th century. He was 14 when he was sent to South Carolina's electric chair after a one-day trial in 1944 for killing two white girls. A judge threw out the black teen's conviction in 2014. Um, A little late there, buddy. Newspaper stories reported that witnesses said the straps to keep him in the electric chair didn't even fit around his small frame. So not only did South Carolina give the electric chair to the youngest person ever in America, but the boy was innocent to boot, said Democratic Representative Justin Bamberg. Um, There are several prisoners in line to be executed. Corrections officials said three of South Carolina's 37 death row inmates are out of appeals but lawsuits against the new death penalty rules are also likely three inmates all in utah have been killed by firing squads since the u.s reinstated the death penalty in 1977 19 inmates have died in the electric chair this century i mean i didn't know they were shooting folks like that i didn't either well you know france was still using the guillotine. Yeah, um, I remember you talking about for that. death penalty. Yeah, and uh, up until I think 1977. So, I mean, you know, I guess as a deterrent, you know, like look, you know, if you do such and such, we're going to lop your head off in front of everybody. Um, <laughs> but I mean, what really got me was like giving them the choice: so you want to be electrocuted or you want to be shot. I mean, I guess, you know, that's something. Yeah, I'd just have to say, please let me think about it. Uh, Another 10 years, maybe? Yeah, yeah, it's going to take me a little while to figure this out, boys. Better give me some room. Um, No, thank you. Did it say what states or other states are doing uh, firing squads? Uh, Well, just like put down there, Mississippi, Utah, and Oklahoma. Um, yeah, I was, figure Oklahoma. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. Uh, I actually would have believed it if they'd said Texas. Um, yeah, I don't know. You know, they're uh, got all them Californians piling in over there. They ain't going <laughs> to want to see no bloodshed like that. Um, but yeah, I thought that was strange. So don't go vacation in the South Carolina and get yourself in any trouble now. Yeah, stay away from Myrtle Beach if you're going to misbehave. Shoot you. Hmm. Well, all righty then. All right. Just, we're we're covering all the bases tonight. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, a little bit of everything. Um, I guess I'll finish up with this. This is from the um, American Thinker. It's an article. It was referenced, uh, linked by uh, Huckabee, and it's by Rob Jenkins. And it says that uh, we're not the crazy ones. And I'm not 
not, I think it's talking about uh, Republicans. But let's see what I can get through here. Long gone are the days when politics as usual meant Democrats and Republicans quibbling over policy preferences. Today's divide is more existential than political between two sides, left versus right, progressives versus conservatives, uh, status versus classical liberals. However, you want to phrase it, who sees the world in fundamentally different terms, almost as if they live in two separate realities. I believe that. Okay, never mind the almost. Since a good pocket definition of insanity is out of touch with reality, each side thus thinks the other is literally insane. You can see this play out daily on social media as both sides shake their heads in stunned disbelief at the other's inexplicable antics, which to them seem crazy. In this context, that's not merely uh, pejorative. Given this state of affairs, how can conservatives be sure we're not the crazy ones? How can we know our version of reality is correct, reflecting the world as it really is? That's a legitimate question. We conservatives tend to be naturally reflective and introspective, recognizing a moral and intellectual obligation to be honest with ourselves and avoid self-delusion. Moreover, about half the country is now arrayed against us, including the corporate media, Hollywood, the sports world, legions of bureaucrats, and even many of our own former friends and family members. Under such constant bombardment from the left, it's natural to occasionally question ourselves. Are they right? Are we insane? The short answer is no, we're not. They are. Let's start with the postmodern left repudiation several decades ago of the entire concept of absolute truth. That, of course, is illogical on its very face, because even if the only thing that's true is nothing is true, then there is still something as truth. But apparently they can't see that, nor are they self-aware enough to recognize the irony and list insisting that their beliefs are true and ours are false when they refuse to accept the basic premise. It's really quite rich to be accused of lying by people who don't even believe in truth. The idea that reality is malleable goes back at least two centuries and probably more. Yet for the left, it's a thing ever shiny and new cropping up again and again in our public discourse couched in the latest buzz phrases. Consider, for example, the Smithsonian Institution's recent declaration that objectivity, rationality, and linear thinking are tools of white supremacy. Basically, here's how the argument between the left and the right has been going most of my lifetime. Right. Your assertion is illogical and, and contract, contrafactual. Left. No, it isn't. Right. Yes, it is. Left, well, facts and logic are racist. Right, we just sigh. How do we even debate people like that? The answer is we don't. We have to defeat them politically, but I digress beyond the fact that they do not believe in truth, so how can their arguments be true? There are a number of other clear indicators that, that are actually the crazy ones, the ones whose per perception is divorced from reality. 
Recent examples include their science-denying insistence on wearing masks outdoors, masking the already vaccinated, uh, masking young children, and mandating lockdowns in an attempt to mitigate a pandemic, calls to defund the police, which would be catastrophic if successful, and the Green New Deal. But the best and most definitive example is transgenderism, which I put in quotation marks because it's not actually a thing. The word itself is meaningless. If by gender we mean sex and by trans we mean change, then by any rational standard, this is incoherent nonsense. It is literally impossible for a human being to change their sex, of which, contrary to the less reality-defying narrative, there are only two, male and female. No matter what drugs they take or how how they undergo an individual still have either an X and a Y chromosome or two X's. Now we had something, an article the other day that had more chromosomes, uh, combinations. Um, sure. That individual can live as whatever gender they wish, which for the most part, isn't particularly disruptive to society. What I do care if some guy wants to pretend to be a woman, that's his business. Unless, he plans to run for governor of our largest state, but that's another column. But when he, when the left asserts as truth, obvious falsehoods, such as a man can, well, I'm going to skip that. The bottom line is this. We conservatives may not be right about every single issue, but the other side thinks men can have babies. Case closed. That was, uh, Rob Jenkins of the American thinker. He had me to leave. He got to the last part. So basically what he's saying is it's, it's useless to argue with uh, liberals in this day and time about things because actually they never argue about anything concrete. It's always just in phrases. So it says that we're not crazy. If you're a conservative, Mm. That, that the liberals are the crazy ones. Well, doesn't everybody have a little touch of crazy to them? <laughs> well, I know, I know it. Um, there's several people in the family that we won't talk about, but uh, they've, <laughs> oh, yeah. they've been known to have some crazy. Uh, That's right. Uh, experiences in their life. Uh, don't anybody worry. I'm not going to freak out or anything. <laughs> No one's ever been put in a straitjacket that I know of, but uh, no, maybe a crooked one. There's been time. there's been some tests. Yes, allegedly. Um, well, my goodness, how time flies, Donald Wayne. Yes, it does. Just you know, earlier we were celebrating um, tacos, and now it's another day. Well, it's no longer Cinco de Mayo. No. Cinco to, you know, six o. Oh my goodness! Uh, yeah, that was. I was gonna. There was something here about Joe Biden, but I'm not gonna do that tonight. I'll save that for tomorrow night. You know, have you noticed that he's been on TV more lately? Oh yes. Uh, we couldn't get him to speak in front of the microphone for three months. And now here lately, he's, he's, uh, being interviewed every day. Almost. Well, I think 
think they got him on the Red Bull now, so you know he's uh, got a little more oomph to him. Some they were making fun of him today because uh, because he wasn't. You know, when they took the picture with the Carters, they weren't wearing masks, and then when they came out of the building, <laughs> they put their mask on. Oh, well, and, that's. Well, they call that an assassination attempt. Um, <laughs> so, well, why wouldn't you have been wearing your mask while you were in there with these elderly people? And and then, but do you come outside when there's no risk to anyone and you put your mask on? Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, somebody had it out for the Carters. Uh, send Biden in there. So, jeez, that's right. Seste mail. Just Doug says, hey, Laura. Oh, my goodness. Uh, she <laughs> she must have heard the shenanigans that were going on. So. Well, it's, it's too late for the uh, headlines. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Oh, you're ticking, ticking down to the ticker. That guy, that, that article shows a guy in prison in chains. Well, as, as the picture of the article, and he's like, uh, he's trying to get somebody to let him out. Oh, my. Okay. All right. Well, you want to do your thing? Uh, let me put my thing down. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, thank you all for joining us tonight. And, uh, you know, if you'd like to, um, you know, if you're into it um, and you like to, you know, tweet. Then why don't you go on Twitter and uh, hit us up at Tristalk WG Moon? Um, if you'd like to send us suggestions about uh, a show or, or or a topic you'd like to hear, oh my goodness! What is that? If you're listening to my voice, make sure to put your ears close to the speaker and hear the vibration. Of what I'm saying to you. And then it will become clear. Let's expand your mind as you travel to Uranus. Uh, yes, as Donald Wayne plays the sitar. And that's a very disturbing picture. <laughs> I won't sleep a wink tonight. (laughs) (laughs) So if you'd like to email and protest about what goes on on the show, do that at tristalk69pts at gmail.com. You can reach us on Spotify where you can hear this funky sitar music too on uh, Tristalk and Amazon Music at Tristalk. And um, be sure to follow us on Facebook where we post a lot of these articles and um, all the shows are posted as well. And hell, follow us here too and you'll be able to know when the next meditation segment is coming. (laughs) And um, we're on every Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 11 p.m. in the Eastern Time Zone. And if you'd like to get even weirder than this sitar music, come on over to Tall Tales in the Rabbit Hole, where, you know, we try to keep our clothes on, but it does get hot. And, um, you know, 
keep it clean. Uh, well, you know, just not sickos or you'll get kicked out. And uh, there, we're on over there every Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern or somewhere thereabouts. Whenever I feel like starting the show with impromptu shows. And I have to say, Donald Wayne is doing a lot of mini-pods, too. And I encourage you to join him on his transcendental quest to a higher point of consciousness and uh, you know my lord I'm having a meltdown here <laughs> it's, it's, it's so steamy it's, I think um, it must be the stone massage I've got going it's on. amazing what a little sitar <laughs> music will do to you you know it turns you into mean, a different kind of person I, I feel it, my whole body is vibrating I'm <laughs> You know, thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we we love you. We appreciate you, and we couldn't do it without you. Thank you so much. Yes, we do appreciate you spending time with us tonight, and um, hope that you'll come back tomorrow night when we won't be quite as silly. Maybe I don't know. No sitar music tomorrow night. Well, I shouldn't promise that. It, it, I kind of like what it does to you. It makes you just almost like uh, uh, a purring cat. It really soothes me, Donald Wayne. I'll bet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was actually trying to look for Ravi Shankar, but I don't know if anybody Whoa! really knows. <laughs> no reason to hurt anybody, Donald Wayne. <laughs> no, not a shame. I mean... not, not... <laughs> <laughs> not not like you thought I'm in a shame. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um oh boy. Thank you, Justice. <laughs> All right. So I guess I should uh do the uh, closing thought. <laughs> well, still uh, okay. We're going to the dream sequence. Uh um. Amara, you know, was it Indiana Jones when he had to do the chanting? Yeah. All right. Your end is neither an end nor a beginning, but a going on with all the wisdom that can experience can instill in us. Let me say uh, that yes. again. Here's <laughs> the end. I don't know. I didn't. I don't think I understand that one. Uh, it's a riddle. I keep coming up with this stuff. I don't understand. Uh, year's end is neither an end nor a beginning, but a going on with all the wisdom that experience can instill in us. I guess it, it's from a site called Filling the Jars. <laughs> well, I mean, you can't <laughs> so go what, do you there, what do you expect? What do you expect? Oh, well, no. I don't know. You know, I was trying to find something different, but. Uh, well, we appreciate that. It definitely was different. All right. Well, if you want to grab the lights, Dennis Lee, I'm uh, going to see if I can find something uh, besides sitar. I'm going to pull the chain. Everybody uh, have a good night. Thank you. Stay safe, everybody.